Hallelujah. At this time, children, we have a children's chapel. So if the kids want to go, they can go with Pastor Chris uh, this morning. And whoever else is working back there, uh, you are dismissed. Name above all names, worthy of our praise. How great, how great is our God. You know, I was, I'm just so humbled You know, when you sing a song that says, He has the name above all names. The Bible says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lords. And I am so grateful that every time that song comes on, it truly is an anthem of God's grace and mercy. You know, today's message is called, Go Big Church. Or go home. And then I made an acronym out of it. But, you know, we've all learned that we've heard that phrase since we were just children. And uh, go big or go home. But what if you used it in the church? What does it look like if we used it in the church? So many in our secular circles use it. So let's say this together. Go big or go home. home. We say it all the time, right? We've heard people say it. So what do I mean when I say go big church or go home? We must get out of traditional obligation and develop a realistic commitment. I'm going to break that down for you. It sounds a little, you know, theological, right? A little doctrinal in there. But listen, here's what I want want us to do. We must get out of a traditional obligation and develop a realistic commitment. In Mark chapter 7, verses 3 through 9, if you have your Bible, you can either follow with me on the screen. If you have any type of electronic device, you can follow with me as well. But uh, the Word of God is important for us here today, so if you will, just follow with me. Mark chapter 7, starting with verse number 3, it reads, For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands in a special way, holding the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washing of cups, pitchers, copper vessels, and couches. And then in verse 5, Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? And he answered unto them, and here's what he said, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And then in verse 8 it reads, For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups, and many other such things you do. He said to them, All too well, you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your traditions, that you may keep your tradition. That's traditional obligation. Now, let me turn with you and I'll explain that to you. We'll go over to Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 26. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 through 26. And as you turn there, many of you could just follow right along with me. Then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and do what? Take up his cross daily and do what? Follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. 
For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and his fathers and of the holy angels. So what we're seeing here is there's a realistic commitment. So the two differences is traditional versus the realistic commitment. So what I mean to say is go with traditionalism or go home. So here's the acronym for home. H means to do what? Honor him. O means to obey his commandments. M means to magnify him. And E means become effective in this world. You see, we find in these scriptures that it was a time that the Jews and the Pharisees had come to regard certain traditions. To be as equal in authority to the Old Testament itself. They had become so wrapped up in being ritually righteous and ceremonial clean that they failed to understand that or realize that all they had was a form of what they thought to be godliness. And denied the power thereof. They began to question Jesus on why his disciples did not hold to the traditions of the elders and eat without washing their hands as well as work on the Sabbath. Now follow me. So now we're going to turn over to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 5 through 7. One of the greatest verses of all, and I believe that really correlates with the church, the bride of Christ. So it's 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 5. So we, it reads this, it says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth." Jesus begins to answer them and begins to explain that they only honor him with their lips, but their hearts are from, far from him. He says to them that they are just hypocrites. You know, we've heard that phrase, does your walk match your talk? You know, we have a lot of people that don't live a life of really a true Christian life. Christianity means what? Christ's likeness. Are we living a life in Christ. Do we just give lip service or are we actually, does our walk match our talk? And so Jesus is telling them, listen, be careful of so much traditionalism that we lose sight of truly who we are in Christ. How many of you want a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ? All of us, right? We want to be challenged. I think all of us should grow. You've never seen a tree. It does one or two things. It doesn't just stun its growth. It either dies or it grows, right? So if you're rooted in Christ and you're deep in Christ, then you'll start to see that everything that it's getting, the nutrients and everything, you start to see that growth in them. But I want you to notice that right here in 2 Timothy, where it says denying the power, I know for myself, I need the power of Christ in my life. Amen? We're, we have a great responsibility as a church to do what? 
to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we also have a great responsibility. Listen, if you go through all of the New Testament, it talks about deliverance. It talks about using the power of Jesus Christ. It talks about freeing people from their hurts, their hang-ups, and their habits. And yet, we're so easily uh, distracted by Satan, by him always telling us that, you know what, look at what the church does, you know, you shouldn't do that. Anything that's uncomfortable, and I'm going to get to that, means that we're doing what? We're picking up the cross of Christ. Uh, I said to uh, a young man who's actually in this room yesterday, I said, you know, to pick up the cross of Christ is like that skid that's over there. If you have to pick up this skid that's over here, we were at the campground yesterday, you have to carry that thing clear across the park, it would get a little exhausting, wouldn't it? Because that's heavy. When we pick up the cross of Christ and we live out a Christ-like life, it's heavy sometimes. It's burdensome sometimes. But God wants to continue to grow us so that we're different. And sometimes in the life of Christ and living a Christ-like life means that there's change. And sometimes the weight of this world becomes heavy. But that's where I believe that Jesus wants us to turn our eyes back on him. I love the old hymn that says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow greatly dim in the light of his glory and grace. When we look upon Jesus and when we seek his face and we want that deeper relationship with him, church, we start to grow in Christ. Would you agree with me this morning? Amen. So Jesus is speaking to You know, the disciples, he's speaking to them, and here's what he says. All right, Pharisees, Sadducees, because you're all sad, don't you see? And he said, let me explain. If you want to walk in godliness, then you've got to live. Your walk needs to match your talk, amen? So then we see here, he says, I'm going to explain to you what a hypocrite looks like. So a hypocrite is a person who pretends to be what he or she is not. One that pretends to be better than they really are. They claim to be pious, virtuous, holy, and righteous without being so. So back in history, a hypocrite would be an actor that hid behind a mask. Their true identity was not known. These people were hiding behind the mask of traditionalism, acting as though they were holy and righteous and offering up lip services, but their hearts was far from the truth. They had a form of godliness. They appeared to be holy on the outside. They knew the law. Now watch. But on the inside... Where it truly matters. They were undevoted. Unaffectionate. They were unreal. And just downright fake. They had become so ritually righteous and traditionally obligated. That they failed to realize truly what their commitment was. Matthew chapter 6 verse 5 it says. And when you pray you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets. That they may be seen by men. Assuredly I say to you they have their reward. I remember when I was just a young man. Just a young Bible scholar. And uh, called on many times. And I would be standing there going. You know these were the days when the pastor said. Today we're going to have a gentleman or a lady. You know dismiss in in the service. And so uh, it made me very. Very, very uncomfortable. I thought, he's going to call on me. He's going to call on me. No, don't call on me. I'm going to stutter. My mind will go blank, and this will be the worst thing. What will these people think of me? And I had to do a little self-check. 
as I called myself, you hypocrite. Because he says, go into that closet, go in your private place. When you pray, praise, you're just talking to me. And it wasn't until that I realized that I need to speak to him like even my earthly father speaks to me or my earthly mother speaks to me. I just need to go to him in prayer. And if it's as simple as, dear Jesus, I love you today. Thank you for such a, a great time of worship. We all got together. Amen. But I think we have a tendency, just like the Pharisees did, and they were looking at Jesus, what are you doing? What are you doing on the Sabbath? They were always going after him, going after him. He says, I'm about my father's work. But yet we're, we're easy to look at people because we want to say prayers like, Oh, Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Yes. Because we're trying to please man. I just want to say, God, here I am. I'm just, it's me. I'm Todd. I'm just here with you. I'm just, I want to walk among you. I want to be among you. And Lord, I just, I'm just glad that we're here today. I love you. Amen. You know, isn't that what God wants from us? Simplicity. Are we simple? Are we practical people? Do we make everything bigger than what it is? And I think that's what was happening right here. Is that they were making things bigger than it should have been. And Jesus was always proclaiming the gospel. And Jesus was saying, listen, I'm about my father's business. And he was always encouraging, take up your cross, follow me, deny yourself, let go of your, your earthly life, your earthly ways. Let me have a word of prayer and we'll move forward and then we'll close. Father, we thank you for today's message. Lord, I pray that you'll speak through me. Lord, that you'll speak to all of our hearts. Lord, I thank you that, Lord, we can find such great truths in your word. Take my imperfections. Father, help me to stay focused, and I bind Satan today. And I ask that, Lord, uh, you'll just teach all of us just the practicality of your word. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus who came and who died, who gives us life eternal. And we thank you that we can come to church today and just worship you and praise you. Bless your word. May not come back void, but may it prosper into the hearts and souls and minds of each person here. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we have people with the form of godliness in the church. They have become so traditionally obligated to the church, but have failed to develop a realistic commitment to God. They are hiding behind a mask of ritualism, but their hearts are undevoted, unreal, and fake. Yet the Bible says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Then he said to them, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily, and take up his cross daily and follow me. That doesn't mean just Sunday morning. That means daily. That just doesn't mean... You know, when you're going to church midweek or you're going to a new hope for recovery and we're teaching biblical principles, it means that we pick up the cross daily and we follow him. We deny ourselves. You see, the cross represents commitment. And when Jesus was crucified on the cross, he sacrificed his life for who? For you and me, for the world. And if we look at a sacrifice, it was a total commitment. The whole animal was given in the sacrifice, not just part of it, when they went into the temple, when they went into the Holy of Holies. A sacrifice is the surrender or destruction of something valued for the sake of something else. 
A sacrifice is the surrender or destruction of something valued for the sake of something else. And when the Bible says, if any man comes after me, let him deny himself. This means give himself totally and take up his cross. And you have to realize that this is a realistic and totally committed commitment, not just a form not just lip service, but a totally true and 100% commitment to do what? To follow Christ. And the reason why the people of the church And I'm actually talking about the body of Christ. I'm talking about the community of Christ more than the building right now. Do not have a realistic commitment is because they have forgotten the reason for their existence, which is to do what? To save the lost. We have forgotten that he commanded us to continue to save the lost. The church is to be what? A beacon of of hope, a place of refuge for the wayward. It is supposed to be the place where the world is transformed into the image and into the likeness of God. However, the church, instead of transforming the world, is being conformed by the world. Why? Because they have lost their savor. I didn't say savior. I said savor. See, we've lost it. Because think about it. If what you represent and who you reflect and who you mirror isn't Jesus, then the world doesn't want anything to do with you. They want to see Christ in and through your life. Well, what does that look like, Pastor? Well, there's a lot of things and a lot of demonstrations that I can and can show you this morning. But for sake of time, I won't. But I will tell you this. It means denying your own pleasures. Denying your own pride. Denying those very things that keep people from actually following Jesus Christ. My role as the under-shepherd to the great high shepherd is to exalt the name of Christ. And to teach all of us to live a better holy life. Are we doing that? And if you look at Matthew chapter 5 verse 13... In Matthew 5, 13, it says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled, trampled under foot. And when we allow the church to conform to the world, you cannot transform the world because you are now part of the world only with a different name. Does that make sense? Are you with me this morning? Amen. Amen. So watch. We must not lose our savor. We are the salt of the world. And salt changes everything it comes in contact with. But the salt itself remains unchanged. We are the salt of the earth. The church. We are to change everything that we come in contact with. The world is not to change us. But when you operate only out of tradition and you fail to develop a true commitment, you become unstable and like water. Whichever way the wind blows, you'll find yourself going that way. But when you develop a realistic commitment, you will be like the tree planted by the rivers of life and the rivers of water. Then when the storm winds... Of life begin to blow, you may bend. But when it's all over, not only are you still standing, but your commitment has become even more rooted and grounded in God. 
And you say with confidence, nothing shall separate me from his love. Salt was a spice. How many of you have salt in this room? I know, we all like salt. Man, it just changes everything, doesn't it? I remember growing up, we'd go to McDonald's and uh, my twin sister Tracy, she would get the fries and, uh, you know, I don't know what it is with McDonald's fries, but if they're not salty, they're not good. But have you ever watched what they do back there? They take them out of that, that fryer. I watched. They take them out of that fryer, shake all that grease off. It's just like running and then they go clump. Then they get that aluminum tin can, whatever that thing is. They go like this, and and seven days later, I come back, and she's still all over that salt. But what's bizarre, as my twin sister would say, can I have a little bit more salt because it's lost its savor? I'm like, what are you talking about? I mean, there's so much salt on here, I can't even eat these fries. But I don't know what it is with McDonald's. They have that secret with the chicka 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 because you have to have salt on those fries. Amen. It just brings some type of savor to the flavor. And I'm not wavering. Okay, I'll stop. Uh, I was getting off on. But salt was a spice that was added to a sacrifice. But remember this. A sacrifice is a total commitment that made it something special. It gave it a sweet-smelling savor. A savor is the taste or smell of something, a particular flavor or smell, or a distinctive quality. We as children of God should have a distinctive quality about us that is meaning, that is a deeper meaning of a peculiar people, that we are distinctive from the rest of the world. And one of the distinctive qualities that we must have is that we must be seasoned with the salt of commitment. I love the word seasoned. The etymology or history of the word is what etymology means or the phrase of the word. Seasoned is from the French seasoner, meaning to ripen, to give food more flavor or zest by adding seasoning or savory ingredients to give a distinctive quality to. I'm going to pick, I, I just have to do this little picture. So, went out to the campground on Friday. Yesterday, Mike smoking these ribs, right? How many of you love ribs? I can say ribs. We, like everybody loves ribs, right? It's fall time, you want ribs. And he start. He, he brings up the cooker and he gets all this stuff and you know, when I'm eating them, I've always said to Mike, I'm like, Mike, what do you do to this? He said, it's all about the flavor. It's all about the flavor. So I've, I've often wondered, you know, well, what do they put on? And, and it's amazing because you, you get those ribs or you get steak or you get chicken. Am I making you hungry? Okay, just checking. And you're salting it, right? And you're putting all the seasoning on there. And it's, it's funny because this past week I grilled out a steak and I put all the seasoning on it. I'm always doing stuff and... Um, my son-in-law, Ryan, will always say to me, well, what do you do with this? I said, I can't tell you. If I told you, I'd have to kill you. If he ends up dead tomorrow, don't come after me. Just kidding. But I will say this, that he, uh, he loves that steak as much as I love those ribs. And every time Mike goes over to check on those ribs, two, three, four, five, I think six hours that you smoke them. Is that right, Mike? 
And uh, every time he opens it up, this smell comes out of it. There's just a great seasoning to it, right? And we're all like, wow, I can't wait just to sink my teeth into those ribs. Or they just slightly fall off the bone. Man, doesn't it make you want to have ribs for lunch today? Did I do a good job picturing it? Uh, okay, that's what I was hoping to do, right? So that we understood what really seasoning meant. But it's to, to flavor something. And so I, I was, as I was thinking this morning, I'm like, man, man, does that sound good right now? Because every time I cook something, I have to put a form of a salt on there. But it is amazing that even with that meat, even with that food, you season it. And people will say, I've never had ribs like that before in my life, or that's the best steak that I've ever had. Now watch. I know that some of you might be saying, even in your mind right now, here today, well, I come to church on Sunday. I have other obligations that I must attend to, you know, down through the week. I I have small children I have to mow the lawn. I I just can't do that. I can't come to church all the time, and I need time for myself. Besides, you know, I pay my tithes. I read my Bible, and God knows my heart. So, but I'm reminded that the scripture that we just talked about says in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, if any man comes after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So, Pastor, what are you saying to me this morning? I mean, what you're, you're talking about, you know, the church and, you know, and flavors and seasonings. And what I'm saying to you is you must deny yourself. And to deny yourself is to get out of tradition, to get out of ceremonial ritualism, to stop doing things as usual. Because when you continue to do things as usual, you find yourself in the same old usual place and are unable to get what you have need of from who? From the Lord. From the Lord. I came in here today. We can go to church. I can be religious. Or I can have a relationship. And I want to have a relationship. I want to sense the power of of Jesus Christ. I want him to become real in my life. I want to pray and I want to see God answer prayers. I love the story of the lame man. And uh, I think about the men that carried the lame man in Mark chapter 2. On top of the roof and tore the roof apart and lowered their friend down from the top of the roof in order to get something from the Lord. And they tried to go the unusual or the usual way through the door. But. But. The usual way was blocked. They had to get out of tradition, develop a commitment to themselves and the lame man in order to get what they needed from the Lord. Let's read this together. I just want to read a few verses for you. Mark chapter 2 verse 1, it says this. And again he entered Capernaum after some days and it was heard that he was in the house. And immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them. Not even near the door and he preached the word to them. Then they came to him bringing a paralytical or a, a paralytic paralytical, who was carried by four men. Not one, not two, not three, not four. I always like, I always like to have to look behind the, the backdrop here. There was four guys there. Not only was there a crowd that was around that house and Jesus was performing miracles, but I like that it said he had four friends. 
Again, not one. There's witnesses always there to see what Jesus is doing, right? I think it's so cool. And when they come, sorry, and when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, to the crippled man, son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. What? You. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus with themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say that the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or say arise and take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. We've never seen anything like this. And if we want the church to grow, if we want God to manifest himself in us, we got to get out of traditionalism and develop, develop a realistic commitment for and toward God. The way we do it is to have a renewing of the mind. You know, as I was reading that, the, the thought came to my mind, how great is our God? You are God alone from before time began. You were on your throne. You know, we, we talk about the power of God, but we deny that power often because I think we lack in our faith. I hope that this is resonating with you today. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The church can't be transformable until we have a renewing of the mind. So you say, but pastor, what is renew? What does renew mean? Renew means this, to revive to restore, to replenish, to make effect. Reminds me of that delicious ribs. If you look at ribs before you start to cook them, I wouldn't eat them. If you look at that ugly-looking piece of steak, I wouldn't eat them. But after it's all done and the flavor changes at all, then that everything changes. It is revived through cooking, right? It's revived through the seasoning. It's restored. It's replenished. In order for the church to be effective in this world, we must have a renewing of the mind. We must change from a traditional obligation and develop a realistic commitment to God. Without a renewing, there can be no transformation for the church or the world until the church first has a renewing of the mind. And that means we must first of all do what? We must first of all be partakers. So what are you talking about? The devil looked and saw the church was operating out of traditionalism. 
He saw they were going through the routine of having church. He saw they had a form of godliness but denied the power thereof. He saw that the commitment, sincerity, and unity were no longer there. He noticed that the church had lost the fruit of the Spirit. Their love had become and began to wax cold. Their peace was not the peace that passes all understanding. And their joy was not unspeakable joy and full of glory. He looked and saw they were not long-suffering. They hadn't been gentle toward one another in a long time. Goodness had left the building. Temperance was replaced with a short fuse. Meekness was mistaken for weakness. He said, I know what I'll do. I'll add slothfulness among them. I'll make laziness appeal to them frustration I'll give them then I'll add a little depression for good measure I'll put jealousy among these two and I'll cause that one to hate the other with wrath with envy and strife I'll even put some of that in there as well why because they have a traditional obligation they're going through the motions but they are not committed to God for real so I can just put this in there and they will become ineffective in the world and as a matter of fact they will become ineffective in the world that I can cause the world to change them all because they have lost their savor they no longer have flavor they are caught up in a traditional obligation they are more worried about ritual righteousness and ceremonial cleanliness that they failed to realize God. So then the enemy says, so I can do my thing. I can distract them. I can manipulate them. But God is saying this. Get right, church. I'm getting ready to come after you. And I need you not to have any spots or wrinkles. I need you to get out of the traditional obligation, get, get out of a form of godliness, and develop a realistic commitment. And Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says this, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day is approaching. Fail not to assemble together. Fail not to come together. But church, we've got to get our hearts right with God. We've got to, we've got to, we must let go, deny our selfish ambitions and seek the face of Christ. Not just his hands, not just what we can get, but live a life that is admirable and honorable. So church today, I'm going to ask you, as, and as I close, how do you get right? We get right by having a renewed mind. We have to renew our mind. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. When we get a renewed mind, we can say like David said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Lord, revive me. Lord, replenish me. Lord, restore me. Lord, make me effective. Lord, take me back, back to the place I was with you when I was totally committed. One thing I love about new Christians 
When it says born again, it means the old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. You know what I love about new Christians? I love that they have excitement, big excitement about spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's my question to you. Have you came in here today with a legalistic heart? Do you have your scorecard out? Are you scoring me up here? Did I fluctuate my voice right? Did I say the right things? Did I, did I walk the right way? Did I look at you properly? Is that why you're here? Or did you come in saying this? It doesn't matter if pastor trips over his tongue and can't pronunciate the letter R. It doesn't matter how it comes out. Father, you have something to teach me today. I'm going to put aside my legalism. I'm going to put aside my traditions. I'm going to put aside everything else. God, there's something that I can learn today. And what does that look like? And if you truly want to have a clean heart, and you truly want to say, God, renew in me a right spirit. I know for myself, every week, I step on this platform a nervous wreck. For the 25 years that I've been pastoring, Nothing changes from the teenage boy that was asked to to pray in the pew, wondering if I said the right words or, you know, said amen the right way, like I said earlier. Or if I walk up here and, you know, does it does it do I have my three points and as they teach us in, in Bible college to reprove, rebuke and exhort, do I have all those things? No. How about this? Let's forget all that junk and just say, Lord, let your Holy Spirit do its work. And then if we can walk out of here feeling refreshed, revived, and renewed, then we've all learned something. That's all I want from this church. You know, and and even back when we started it on a deck in Cuyahoga Falls 18 years ago, my sole desire was, you know, God, if you use me one day or if you use me two days, if you use me for 10 years, 15 years, Lord, just use me. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Lord, how can I be used? How can I be used? Father, how can I honor you? How, how can I just love people, love one another? How can I magnify you? And, and yet, how can I be effective in this world? So I'll say this. It's time to get out of tradition. It's time to stop doing things as usual. We need to develop a real commitment to God, a real commitment to Jesus Christ. There are going to be times that we don't feel like doing something. But because of the commitment we have for God, we will do it. That's what it means to press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I'm committed committed to getting to another level. I am committed to being the vessel that God can use. I am committed to changing the world. and, And I know if I labor, God is going to give me a crown. But I must be committed. I have to be committed to God and to doing His will. We need to get up. We need to get up off of our seats of the do nothing. Get out of the tradition of coming to church and develop a realistic commitment to God. And I think, church, that we are so into tradition then we know who will be at church on Sunday. We knew who would be at church today, right? I saw some of you ladies came in. I appreciate you coming in and taking off early this morning. 
but to have a realistic commitment to God. We're so into to tradition that we need to let go and let God. Let me ask you, church, if you say, get right, church, go big or go home. That's become committed to going home, to honoring Him, to honoring Christ, to loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then when it says to magnify Him, to deny ourselves, to pick up our cross, to pick up the weight of the world and the, the sins that so easily beset us, that, that trap us, And I'm going to make it personal. Are you effective in this world? Because he told his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And teach the gospel. Is your platform, is your Facebook page, does it talk about your own personal life or does it exalt the name of Christ? Does it talk about your problems or does it talk about your passion? Are you telling people about your troubles? Are you letting them know about your triumphs? What is it you're working through? We all deal with some type of hurt. But I'm here to tell you, church, that we can let go of all that. And with Christ, all things are possible. Because nothing is impossible with God. Do you believe that this morning? Do you receive that this morning? If you don't know Jesus Christ, will you come to the saving grace of Christ? I know Christ is my Lord and Savior. Maybe this morning you need to be renewed in your mind. Maybe you need to let go of some of the things that have been keeping you in prison. Maybe there's some things that's hindered your prayer time, your worship time, your studying. Will you let go? See, letting God means you're opening up your hands and you're transferring it back to Him. I do that almost daily, and I'm not joking with you. I literally take my hands and I clutch them like this, then I open them up. So every time Satan comes at me, I'm like, Lord, I transfer this back to you. You went to the cross and you died for me. I'm giving it back to you. Let go of what the enemy's trying to tell me, and, uh, and I just want to be renewed. I want to be conformed to this world, but I want to be renewed. I want to be transformed. I want to be like you, Christ. Trust me, because my flesh wants to tell me otherwise I'm with you but today will you just lay it at the altar will you lay it at the foot of the cross and we just let God do his work in your life let's rise to our feet and let's pray Father God we love you thank you Lord for this morning thank you for your word Lord I come to you today and I worship you and as the little course is majesty worship his majesty for you are king of kings and lord of lords God, I'm sorry, even in my own life. And if I stood up here the next 15 minutes and just gave a testimony of my past. Father, being introduced to such legalism in this world and in the church that there's times in my own life I lost perspective, allowing the Holy Spirit to truly just speak to me and then move within that prompting. Lord, thank you for always guiding us and directing our paths. Lord, 
Lord, as I trust in you. Help me to not lean on my own understandings and my own thoughts, but help me to be renewed. Help me to be revived. And when those fiery arrows and those darts come from the enemy, help all of us in this room, Lord, to just say, you went to the cross for us. You died for us. And, Lord, we're going to transfer. We're going to give you back. What Satan has been trying to take, it's yours to begin with. So, Father, we love you. Lord, we worship you. If there's someone in this room that does not know you as Lord and Savior, may they come to Jesus today. Father, and as we just take this time of reflection, rather we pray in our seats or at this altar, Lord, let us just lay it down at the foot of the cross and give it all back to you. Thank you, Lord, for your saving grace and for your love in our life. Continue to help us to not lose our savor. Let the world see Jesus in us. In your name we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.